0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Uh, we'll continue as we go to God's Word. Now in Colossians chapter 3, we finish up our, our 12-week series uh, through the Apostles' Creed. For 12 weeks, um, we have made the topic of our preaching the Apostles' Creed, and uh, which is this, it's this document, this ancient document that summarizes several um, short phrases and essential truths of uh, what Christians believe, what it means to be a Christian, and and what the Bible teaches about what it means to know and trust in Jesus. And the final phrase of the creed confesses this, and this is where we are today. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, The last line, uh, with a theme like this and with these words, maybe you... Uh, maybe you're thinking, hey, maybe you should have planned this a little bit better uh, to fall in line with Easter just in a couple weeks. And you're absolutely right. Uh, (laughs) Kind of missed that important opportunity. I don't have any more material left uh, for the 21st. Um, However, it's important also to realize we are meant to think of the resurrection, our bodily resurrection and the hope of eternal life, more than once a year. At least twice a year. Okay, maybe more than that. And so what a great opportunity that we have what an essential truth. Uh, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3 as we dwell more on this truth and then look at this closely together. I'll read uh, starting in verse 1, Colossians chapter 3. The writer, Apostle Paul, is writing this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. In these two, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We're meant to think of our bodily resurrection and the hope of everlasting life more than once a year. In the New Testament, it really, uh, we see that the New Testament people had this indescribable joy and courage that flowed from this reality that they would be raised one day from the dead and they would have life everlasting with their Savior Jesus. Um, much different view than what we think of about it today when we think of everlasting life. When it comes to the resurrection of the body and eternal life, many view this as merely just an extension of life, a life that doesn't end, a life that continues and go on. And oftentimes we talk about it when we're maybe mourning the loss of a loved one or even thinking about our, our uh, temporary life ourself. We think, well, one day I, I will not die I will be raised and I will live forever. We might notice this when we say, do you ever wonder what we will do with all that time in heaven? Have you ever found yourself contemplating heaven and thinking, what am I going to do for eternity? How will you pass the time? I can't imagine a worship service that doesn't end. Have you ever thought that to yourself before? (laughs) So when we think of eternity, we often think of immortality. Just a life that never ends. However, when the Bible speaks of eternal life, its focus is not on the quantity of life, but rather the quality of life that we will have. That is what provided indescribable joy for the early Christians. That is what provides indescribable joy and courage for us today. It is a resurrected body and a soul unto a life that is made completely new a communion with Jesus in glory forever. It will be a kind of glorious newness of life that the Bible tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no heart can imagine the kind of blessing that awaits us. We are meant to think about our resurrected bodies and eternal life a lot, much more than we do. Our passage speaks of this radical change, this quality of life that awaits us, this radical newness of life. It's nothing short of a radical recreation of our life, a renovation of our life itself. It's a radical recreation of life that is rooted in grace. It is, it hopes in a promise and it transforms our everyday life. Let's look at those those three. First, Let's look at how this recreated and renovated life is rooted in grace and how our passage points us there. Verse 1, go back to verse 1 in chapter 3, it reads this way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look at that, past, look at that verse. Mess up the order of verse 1 and you lose Christianity completely. Mess up the order of verse 1, and you lose the gospel. Mess up the order, and, and there is no joy. There is, you lose all courage. You lose all security. What does the order tell us? Well, let's change the order, and maybe that will become more clear. The passage does not say, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Then you will be raised with Christ. Do you see the difference of this order and what it can mean? The following verses of verse one, uh, following verse 1 are many commands, as we have already read. A long list of evils and a long list of good things to do. As if Paul is saying, don't do all of these things, but rather here is a list of all the things you should be doing. Put away anger and wrath and malice and slander. Put away a, obscene talk and, and, and immorality and, and much more. And then all those evil things alongside all of these good things that he tells us to do. When we often see lists like this side by side in the Bible, it's very easy and common for us to interpret it in this way. If the bad things on this list are a part of my life, then I won't be with God one day. And if the good things are a part of my life, then I will be with God in heaven in eternity. The Bible communicates a radically different interpretation, a radically different order of things. In our passage, when it says, there is neither Greek, there is neither Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but you are chosen, this is what he says. He says, God chose you. He says, the resurrection and eternal life is not a matter of our choice to be better, but rather it's the result of God's initiation with us. It's not by ethnicity, it's not by uh, religious effort, it's not by socioeconomic status. No one has the right to ever feel morally superior to anyone else because eternal life is never earned, it is never deserved, it is always given. Christian character does not make anyone a Christian. Being a good person does not make us a Christian. Christian character will never lead us to being with Jesus forever in heaven. And it's often, though, we we often read the Bible in a different way. We see these bad things and say, I need to be this kind of person. I need to be a good person, and then I will be with Jesus where he is. And when he returns, then I will know and have confidence that he will take me to be with him. You can be a terrific person. You may be really fun to be around, and it's possible to have nothing to do with Jesus. The new creation, as Paul describes here, and as we think on this creed about the new heaven, the new earth, what will it be like? Much has been left to our imagination. Much isn't described in Scripture about what it will actually be like. But this is certain. The new creation will not be filled with a collection of people who are smart enough and good enough to be there. The gift of eternal life is absolutely free. The gift of eternal life is absolutely given. And if we get the order of this passage wrong, we'll try to deserve eternal life. And therefore, we will become the very people that are wrong with everything in the world. The only reason that we would do good is to manipulate others. The only reason we do good is to receive praise from others. In order to control blessing, probably, from God. We want to be good to God so that we can manipulate blessing from His hand. We do it to feel proud about ourselves and say, see, at least I'm not like those other people. Everything that's wrong with the people in our world. But Our passage points us first to the fact that the resurrection of our bodies and the life everlasting is rooted not in our ability to do good, but it's rooted in the grace of God. When we think about eternal life, we are to think about the gift that God has given to us. When it comes to mind, we're, we're meant to think deeply, not first of, of the joy that awaits us, but we are to, meant to think about a past event. Let me give you an example to, to make this a little bit more clear. Imagine you've been given an all-expense-paid summer vacation. It's coming up, right? This summer, an all-expense-paid trip. All travel, all food, all drink, all lodging, all activities, all, everything is paid for you. I mean, this is like... It's, the Price is Right showcase, you won, both of them. You got within thousand dollars and you get both of them, okay? And this is all yours and you're so excited. We're tens of thousands of dollars. And when the trip comes to mind, instead of thinking first of, I can't wait until that summer comes, I can't wait until that fun happens, and all the excitement that fills and just waiting to get to that event, we are meant to think about something that has already happened. We are meant to think about the fact that that gift has been given and it is ours. So instead of thinking merely and only about when will that time come, I can't wait to go, we are meant to think, I can't believe that that's mine. I can't believe that I won that. I can't believe that it has been given to me. That's what Paul is doing for us. When we we think about our eternal destiny, our future destiny, we're meant to first think about something that has been secured for us, that our sins have been forgiven once and for all, through an act of God's free grace. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the debt was paid. This was last week's sermon, right? We have been accepted by God, not because of our record, not because of our character. So our passage aims to show us that we have been made new. Something has happened. We have been recreated already. We have been made a new creation, but a future event has yet to happen. A future, we still long for this. I'm not saying it's all in the past, but Paul is pointing us to something that already has happened. And we are to know that it is rooted in that event. It is rooted in God's grace. We have been justified. Our sins have been pardoned. We have been accepted by Jesus because of, hit by God, because of Jesus' righteousness. And we have received that by faith. We believe it. We trust in it, we hope and rest in what he has done for us in a past event. Paul says, you have been made new, but then he says, but you also will be made new. There is a future event that we wait for, and this event is also secured, not by your character or record, it is secured by a promise from God. Let's turn to the second point that our recreated life Hopes in a promise. The promise we're talking about is found in verse 3 to 4. Would you, would you look at that again? 3 to 4, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And here's the promise. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the real hope, isn't it? That's the real hope when we think of the resurrection, we think of eternal life. In, in its most simplest form, that's our hope, that when Jesus comes back, we will be rewarded and we'll be with Him. That's what we hope for. That's what, the, that's what we hope in the resurrection and in eternal life, that He won't neglect us, that He will take us with Him, that He will usher us into that new kingdom where there is joy and, and no sin. When Jesus returns, He will, he will be with us and we will be with Him. If we have died, then our bodies will rise and we will give in new bodies, glorified bodies that are free from pain and sickness. Uh, We will be perfected, joy-filled, and without sin for the very first time. That's what we look forward to when sin is no more and we are glorified. How can we know that Jesus will come back for us? That's a good question at this point in the sermon as we look to the hope of of the promise. How do we know? How do we know that when he comes back, he's going to Take us with them. There is a phrase here meant to comfort us. And it's meant to assure us. The comfort is found in the phrase, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's talking about the cross of Jesus. And here is where what it means. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not generally die for people, he died specifically for people. What I mean is this, when Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross, he went to the cross and brought names with him. When he died on the cross, real names, real names, Karen, Peter, Jennifer, Keith, Sally, he went to the cross not indiscriminately. He didn't just go and say, I hope that this does something good for for people I love. He went to the cross with names written down. And died for those people. When he died on the cross, he didn't merely provide a way for salvation. He didn't just open a door for salvation. He provided salvation. Not just a way for salvation. And Paul tells us, and when he returns, he's coming back with names as well. Those same names written down, kept in heaven this whole time. He goes to the cross with names written down, and when He returns, He will come with a book of life, with those same names written in it. He will return for the same people He died for. If you trust that He died for you, apart from which you would still be lost, cursed in your sin, then He will also return for you. That is the promise you have been given. The book of Revelation explains this, this amazing event when Jesus returns and he's riding a horse and angels are with him and they have with them the book of life and anyone's, anyone whose name is not written in the book of life is there judged and condemned and anyone whose name is written in the book of life is rewarded and given life everlasting and given glorified new bodies where they will be with Jesus forever. What are you doing to make sure your name is written in that book? Okay, if that question seems like a good question, you haven't been paying attention to everything I said. (laughs) Some of you are like, that's what I need to be asking. (laughs) That's not what you need to be asking. Are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? The source of our forgiveness of sins is the death Jesus the source of our resurrection and new life is the resurrection of Jesus I died for you and I will raise you that's what Jesus is saying what does it mean to have died with Christ it means that if you are a Christian God looks at you as if you died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sin yourself isn't that amazing If if you are a Christian and trust in Jesus' righteousness to to replace your, your lack of righteousness, all of your guilt, all of your debt of sin, and it's not just faith in that, it's faith in Jesus and what he did for you, then God looks at you as if you were the one hanging on the cross. And he says, that's good enough. You've paid the penalty. You have paid the debt. Your sins are forgiven. You're paid for, no more condemnation, no more debt. What does it mean then to be be raised? It means complete renewal, so much so that God delights in you completely as if you've done nothing wrong. This is radical. This is unbelievable. He looks at you as if you've never committed any sin. He looks at you as if the debt has been paid, no condemnation. And he looks at you with the same pleasure and affection as, as he looks at his own son with. His perfect Son, in whom He delights. The fullness of God in Jesus Christ. You see, what we hope in drives our our very life. What you hope in drives your very life. If you hope that when Jesus returns, that He will see you as good enough, have done good enough in this life, to deserve eternal life with Him. That will drive your life and you will forever wonder and forever be insecure and forever try to manipulate God for His blessing and forever try to abuse others in order for them to like you. And you will be so spiritually fatigued in this life and disappointed in the next. What we hope in drives us The new creation, the new creation life that awaits us means reward. It means inheritance, blessing, joy, security, no pain, no mourning, no disappointment, no struggle, no fear, no sickness, unending peace, unending comfort, unending communion with Jesus, with all of the treasures of heaven forever. I really should have saved this for Easter. Okay. It will be the kind of glorious newness that the Bible tells us no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined the kind of blessing that awaits us. That's what it will be like. There will be a day when, when peace, comfort, provision, unity, and reconciliation won't be things that we pray for. We won't have to for we will experience them without end. That's what awaits us. That's the promise that we have. For we have died with Christ and we will raise with Him as well. On earth, our our pleasures are fleeting, aren't they? They come and they go. And even when they come, they're half. as what we hoped they would be. But when we are made new, our joy will be Forever. When it comes to the resurrection and the hope of eternal life, we understand that we have been changed. We have this new life in Christ. We have been pardoned of all our sins and accepted by God because of God's grace. We have been changed. We will be changed in the coming resurrection. But how often do you realize that you are now being changed? You see, Paul uses all tenses here. He says the resurrection has happened, it will happen, and it is happening right now in you. What does that mean? Paul is saying that the future resurrection that God's people look forward to happening came past into history and broke into our history. And the resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits of all of creation. And we then are being renewed and recreated right now. That's what this passage is all about that God has changed us, He will change us, and He is changing us. Finally, let's look at how our recreated life transforms our everyday life. Our passage tells us that you are a new creation. You will be a new creation and you are are being renewed into the image of your creator. Isn't that neat? Isn't that great? Just beautiful. I love that. I I love the beauty in this. He's talking about the new creation. And he says, God is making you to be like that creator who created you. He's making you a new creation. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the resurrection that it breaks into our lives so much so that it's not only a radical thing that we long to see happen one day. It's something that we can experience every day, right now. Some, confused by grace and how it works, might say, well, if, if we're truly saved by grace from any work of our own, then people will be tempted to live any way that they want to live. And why would they feel motivated to be changed in this life. I mean, you just got done telling us that it's what's it, 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 not earned, it's not deserved, it's all because of Jesus and our, pro, and our hope is in the promise of God. So, so what, what does it matter in this life? Shouldn't we just wait for God to come back and just pray for that every day? Maybe you have felt that way. Maybe you've said those things. Of course, that's not how the gospel works. Our scripture says this, if you have truly been made new by grace, then this same grace will renew you into the image of Jesus until he returns. Verse 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We are told that we are new creation people before he tells us to do any new creation things. Don't you see that? Before I tell you to do anything new creation stuff, you need to know that you are a new creation person. Two reasons for this. First, it's impossible to do new creation things for people who have never been made new. You can't do good things if you have not been made new. You cannot honor God and be obedient to him if he has not made you new. So you can't do these things. None of us, apart from being made new by the grace of God, can obey anything in this passage that, that Paul has told us to do. Second reason, we are to remember that we act in such a way not to earn God's love, but because He has loved us and not the reverse. That's why this order is so important. Obedience is always a response to God's grace, not a way of gaining it. It's always a response to His grace. Remember when our passage says, "If, if you have been raised with Christ, Paul has referred to a transformation inside of our hearts that directs everything we do. If you've been given a new heart, if you've been made new, if you, are, have you have truly had a renovation of your spirit, if you truly have died with Christ on the cross, then put on the new self. Then do new creation things. Our resurrection and eternal life, is a, it's a truth, it's something that we look forward to, but it is something also that breaks into our lives and changes everything about us. Here's what happens when you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, you have said, I believe in you, Lord Jesus, that God is holy, that I have sinned and am deserving of of great punishment, of death itself, but Jesus died in my place. He substituted himself. He took my sin and he gives me his righteousness. He forgives me and I believe in that. And I'm accepted and I'm loved and I'm adopted into his family. I believe him and I rest in that reality. Then what happens? Do you say, okay, now I have to begin, now I have to begin living a different way because I'm a Christian. Now my life has to look different because, because Jesus did these things. Now I have to start obeying all these rules. That's not what happens. But change is inevitable, our passage tells us. What happens is this, at that moment, at that moment you believe, at the moment you are made new, And God's Spirit renovates your heart and makes you a new creation. At that moment, God's agenda begins to take over your life instead of your agenda through the Holy Spirit. And His agenda is not merely to make you nice or to make you well-behaved or to make you peaceful or happy or successful. His agenda is to renew you more and more into the image of the Creator. His agenda is to make you more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul just got done earlier in Colossians telling us that everything, seen and unseen, is made in and through and by and for Jesus Christ. And God's agenda is to make us more and more into His image. His agenda is to make you into a new creation that will last into the new creation. Right now, his agenda is to create in your life a preview for what heaven will be like on earth. It's not something we wait for entirely. It's something that has broken into history and is happening now through the Holy Spirit. The passage tells us the resurrection and the recreation has already begun. The future has broken into the present. The grace of God is bringing about change in the life of a Christian. Paul calls it the new self. What is the new self? The new self that Paul speaks of is meant to be a living preview of life in the new creation. Let me show you how radical this is. God is making us into the kind of people that we will perfectly be once he returns. He is not just preparing us for it. He is making us new every day. This means as Christians, we are meant not merely to just wait for his return, for Jesus' return, to make things better. We are meant to be previews of what the new creation will be like when there is no more sin. And you may be thinking that's ridiculous and impossible. (laughs) How does that happen? How can one do that? It is impossible and it is ridiculous if you expect that change to come through your strength and power. Paul says that if it's going to happen, the peace of Christ must rule in your hearts. Rule! In your hearts. He does not say, as we read in verse 15, let the peace of Christ guide your hearts. That's usually how we read it. Let him influence your heart. Let him be a good example for your life. Jesus is peaceful. Let his attitude help you be peaceful. Isn't that how you usually read that? He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let him Take over your life. Let what he has done in your life be the agenda for everything that you do. This means radical, a radical change of our affections, of our behaviors, of our attitudes, dreams, motivations, and passions will happen only as a result of a deep, soul-satisfying assurance of all that we already have in Christ. Let him rule your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule you. The final word of the creed, the final word of the creed is amen. Isn't that the right way to finish it? Amen. What does amen mean? So be it. Maybe you didn't know that. It means so be it. The final word of our prayers, the final word of scripture in the book of Revelation, it all means let's do it let it happen go right ahead God we are your willing servants it's amazing what you have done for us it's amazing what you have given to us it's amazing what you have promised for us so be it we are your new creation people let us be a preview of what heaven will be like when you return we are your people being recreated renovated our hearts are new we have taken off the old self the way that we once lived and we have put on the new self, and we are being renewed every single day into the image of Jesus by the same grace that forgave our sins, the same grace that resurrected us, the same power that brought Christ to life from the grave is in us. So be it that we would be new creation people who live as previews of the coming new creation by the grace of God and the glory of Christ and the joy of everlasting, so be it. Let's pray.